Did you identify with Fat Albert as a child? No. Who'd you identify with? Hmm. Rudy? Maybe Rudy. <laughs> no, no, no. Not Rudy. Uh, Mushmouth? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby. What are we going to do? Yeah. Mushmouth. Oh, that's funny. No, no, no. Gonna have a good time. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, hey, gang. How's about we do episode 110 of On Taking Pictures? What do you think? Uh, I'm very excited. <laughs> Wait, were you asking me or the people? <laughs> Whoever's listening. Because I don't think that I don't think they can answer you. I don't think they can. But it's Tuesday. So that's on Taking Pictures Day, mm-hmm. as, as we all know, as the cool kids know. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Sidoris from FadedAndBlurred.com, where you can find all sorts of cool photo inspiration, including, I don't know, the new magazine on Flipboard, which is kind of cool. I, a lot of people are digging that Flipboard. I like Flipboard. Yeah, it's a good uh, platform. Yeah, I, I hear it's a very good platform. I've, I've played with it. It does not really work with the way I read, but I've never been an uh, RSS reader other, uh, as well. I yeah, like going I, I really to people's like websites. It. Well, I like that too, but you, you get a little taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It's a discovery mechanism. Right. And I, <laughs> I end up reading so much anyway that it's, it works for me. Okay. It works for me. Uh, and, and, and with me, the, the, uh, the, the RSS-phobic, <laughs> that would be your boat if you ever had a boat. Man, I've tried so many times to get into the RSS feed thing. Sorry, yeah. finish, finish the, the intro. The, the RSS-phobic Bill Wadman. How you doing? Mm-hmm. Um... You're not into the, not into it. You don't use like Feedly or no, or like, like Google reader. My friend Dan, who I used to do circuitous conversations with was a huge RSS nut, like Google reader right. kind of guy had like 170 feeds that he followed and whatnot. Oh, wow. Yeah. How, how is Dan? Say hi to him next time. You I, hi Dan, I will. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, I, I tried because of him. I was like, yeah, I'm going to try to start reading my stuff there. Somehow I don't find it as satisfying as like going to say the verge and just reading the articles. Uh, I do like the verge, although I wish the verge would have, uh, make their, make their, uh, iPhone app universal. So I could also read it on the iPad. Uh, yeah, they should do that too. Although the mobile website's pretty good. Yeah. Um, all right. What about the apps, man? All about the apps. What are we talking? See, I prefer the web. This is where we differ. Uh, what are we talking about today? We got, yeah, we got lots yeah, of stuff. That's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But first, oh, that's where we differ. Go ahead. I, yeah. I forgot. I forgot. I owe you a suck it. Why? Because Steve Perry sang. Oh, he came back. Yeah. And I he saw sounded that. awesome. So I don't understand. What was the whole thing for so many years that he, he couldn't sing or they said he, he just, was shot? He just, he just, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. He was done with the industry. You know, Journey screwed him when they, when they went on without him, when he was, when he was healing from his uh, Yeah, they've his been doing great, too. Yeah, yeah. Love all the hits you guys are coming out with. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Said no one. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so Steve Perry, first time in 20 years uh, on stage in St. Paul, Minnesota with the Eels, and he sounded terrific. Now, if you read the, there's an interview that apparently, uh, 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 I, don't, I forget what magazine was that, that called him, uh, the, the lead singer of the Eels, or the main guy with the Eels, and said, how did this come about? And he and Perry became friends, and, and Steve started showing up at rehearsals, and, and every once in a while they would break into a Journey tune, get him to sing, yeah, and he wouldn't yeah. do it. 
Uh, but uh, then, you know, he, he would sing background every once in a while. And then he started bringing his own mic to the rehearsals, <laughs> you know, just in case. Mm-hmm. And he started going to shows. And, and St. Paul, him. Minnesota is, is where he decided tonight's the night. So they, they ended up doing... Uh, I'm sorry. Did you really just make a... Oh, no, that's a Rod Stewart song. Go ahead. Yeah, that's a Rod Stewart. Yeah, no. And it, but, it, but it was going to be all right. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he sang one of their songs, and then he did, uh, they, they broke into Open Arms and Love and Touch and Squeezin', and he sounded fantastic. So basically, it wasn't that I was wrong in my analysis, I was wrong in my facts. Um, yeah, probably. Right. Because you had heard that, that I'd his, heard voice, that his was voice was shot. Yeah, and that's why he stopped. all evidence to the contrary. He sounds fantastic. Right, well, and, and he says that he's been writing and recording for years just in his, in his studio. So maybe we'll see a new record. Who knows? I'd love to see exciting. It. Yeah. Coming would, out of would, retirement. That would be amazing. And the guy's 65. I know it's true. And he, he looks great. He sounds great. So well done, Steve. I, I'm, I'm all for people coming out of retirement. I mean, like when, what was the first time you came out of retirement? Wise <laughs> <laughs> guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of people who have second lives, uh, I find I got around to watching Tim's Vermeer. This, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. This weekend. <clears throat> and, and, uh, okay. So this is just to refresh. This is a movie, uh, directed by Teller of Penn and Teller fame produced by Penn and Teller. Uh, Penn does a lot of the voiceover stuff, uh, about their friend, Tim, uh, Jenison, who started, um, new tech. So, uh, video toaster, Right. And Lightwave, I think. Yep. And Lightwave, uh, <clears throat> fantastic piece of 3D software. And what's the, what's the, uh, the something, TriCaster, that like Tri-caster, Twit uses? Yep. To, okay. So piece of hardware that does yeah. broadcast. So yep. he invented all this stuff, or was the head of the company that invented all this stuff, right? Um, made a bunch of money, and I think he's pretty much retired and does fun stuff for himself now, you know, as, as one does. Right. Um, and they talk about all these crazy things that like he's invented and built. Like he's definitely a tinkerer, right? And obviously a, a technologist because he came up with Video Toaster in the first place. He's, you know, a super bright guy. Right. Um, so t- Tim decided that he was fascinated by Vermeer paintings. We talked about this, I don't know, 20 episodes ago. But I'm just giving a quick refresher. He decided he was fascinated by Vermeer paintings. He felt like they looked much more like photographs than a lot of other stuff around that era. And so he became convinced that they use some sort of optical device in order to make them that Vermeer was, was, was using some sort of tool right now. A lot of people in the art world poo poo this idea and say it's because Vermeer was a genius and that's why he was able to do it and blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, a couple guys, including David Hockney, the famous British painter also wrote books saying that, you know, there was a sea change around the time of Vermeer where people started using lenses and whatnot. Um, they didn't really figure out what exactly they were using. They just sort of guessed maybe uh, a camera obscura, basically a camera like we're using now, except instead of film, they just projected it against the wall and drew it. Right. People thought that that was maybe step one. Right. Um, and, and so Tim decided that he was going to figure this out and he started out, he read Hockney's book or whatever it is, tried to figure it out, figured out that if you just, project the thing up against the wall and you try to start painting on it, it doesn't really work because when you're painting the color, it's also getting tinted by the color of the light coming through. So trying to match it's no good. You know, like you can get the outlines, but you can't do detail. Um, And then he came upon this way of doing it, which involved having like a 45 degree mirror 
that you could look down at your paper and have the mirror looking at whatever was projected on the wall, say, and by doing this and moving your head around, you could kind of move around the projection of the thing that's on the wall versus your painting. So right. you can kind of go up and down and sort of look at, you've like, got, you've got limited control over, <clears throat> over perspective and that kind of well, thing. Well, apparently the perspective is, is it doesn't change over the whole image. You just sort of like move your head to show what part of the picture you'd like to see because it's okay. getting, see what I'm saying? Okay, sure. They do a sure, really sure. good version of it in, in the, in the movie and definitely go see the movie. Apparently it's, it's available for streaming next week on the 10th or something. So okay. everyone should go watch it. But anyway, the, the point I bring up is that he finally figures out how to do it and he builds a room to the exact specifications of, of the music lesson room Vermeer painting including building the furniture, even though he doesn't have any idea how to build furniture. Uh, He, he he like, he just figured it all out because he's one of those guys who's just sort of an autodidact who just starts playing with stuff and he's got money so he can buy a fancy lathe or whatever, you know? Right. Um, So he figures it all out. He builds the room and he, and he paints the painting, which looks great. And he shows it to Hockney and some other guys and they're all just like, wow, that's incredible. You know, just incredible. So basically he's figured out how to do it. Now, the reason I bring this up, is that he keeps making the point that it it turns painting into an objective affair rather than a subjective one. That anybody using this technique could do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I just found it interesting that the, the question is whether whether technology replaces or negates the artist. Now, in painting you know, the actual act of doing the painting according to him. And it took him four months to actually do the painting. So it's not like it was, you know, done in a day or whatever. Right. Um, Cause it's just so detailed and time consuming. But if the, the act of painting became machiner, it became a machine. Essentially he became film for the camera as it were, you know, he was just a mechanism of, of the, of the camera that he created. Um, I guess then the real art is just what you put in front of the lens, you know, like you start getting into these kinds of questions, right? And now with technology, with all these cameras that do all these gizmos for us, and we talk a lot about how people have lost this sense of craft because they don't have to use film anymore or make their own glass plates or focus or set their exposure and all this kind of stuff. They don't know how to do any of this stuff. They just point and click. That is that somehow removing art and is this an example of how that's happening know what i mean um well okay in this particular case i i think the art is the entire experience yeah the art the art for him is 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 for for me rather is in the the taking on of the entire project that yeah. becomes the art piece is building the room, building the contraption, building, 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 designing, 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 right. The, 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 the uh, end result, the painting that he produced to me is, is almost just a byproduct of, of the art having been the project. I, I understand. Case. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, so in um, some ways you could argue if Vermeer, ran through this same set of steps in his day, mm-hmm. you know, that Vermeer was not much more than a technologist or an inventor. Yeah, maybe, but that's a big if. Well, that's, I mean, there, there you know. are, there are a number of people who would argue this saying, no, 
Vermeer didn't use one of these contraptions. He actually did use underpaintings and did build up layers and yeah. layers. Apparently like, there are there are there are no sketches underneath the paintings that that it's made. That that's one of the points they make in the thing. Yeah. But go right. ahead. No. So who, you know, if if that's the case then, you know, maybe he was a brilliant technician and is there not art in that? That's I guess that's that's part of my question, right? And and you could say in some ways, you know, if, if if it's true that Vermeer invented this, he was trying to basically be a photographer before photography was an option, mm-hmm. you know, um, but there are no records of this thing. There, there are no, no plants, records, but there's there no, no records. But at the same time, there are no records of back in the day, back in his day in Amsterdam, uh, Vermeer's time, people who were artists went through guilds and, you know, mm-hmm. masters and, you know, they were apprentices. There's no record of Vermeer doing any of that. So it's sort of like he has no pedigree either, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, whether or not he used it. Okay. I, I think that we yeah. should take that out of the equation yeah. for now, but assuming that he did and he built this, I yeah. pretty amazing achievement. Oh, it's, it's totally, totally cool. But what's interesting I think about it is that Jenison is basically saying this painting that I made, like even Vermeer doing it, this is, this is a, this is an objective thing it is a technical thing. It's all about craft and it's no longer about him being an amazing artist. It's about him just using these tools to do this thing perfectly. Wouldn't there still be a craft in choosing colors and, and mixing colors? Yeah. I and- guess the, ar- the, the, the argument would be that he was actually trying to match the colors in whatever's in front of him. In which case, in some ways, if this is all true, Vermeer was sort of the first photographer because his art was entirely about putting in front of his lens, what he wanted in front of his lens to then record. Sure. At least the first photo realist. Yeah. 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 You know, but just, just sort of thinking about it as this is a technical thing and, and, and not much more. I don't know. I Mm -hmm. just, I loved, I loved the idea. There was one scene in it where there's a harpsichord in the picture and the way that, that, that this uh, Tim Jennison was using, um, to, to, to do the optics ended up having the top of the harpsichord and the bottom of the harpsichord were straight lines. But for some strange reason, the middle sort of horizontal line was bowed a little bit. And he was just like, Oh, that doesn't look right. Whatever it is. But then he pulls out the original. He has like a big giant print of the original that he can like look at. And he tilted it up like to the end to like look along the lines. And apparently in Vermeer's painting, the middle one bows a little bit too. Hmm. And he Hmm. was like, okay, look, if I'm not on the right track, then I'm crazy. You know, right. it's sort of, it was, they make a very, very good. Of course, you can never prove what he did because he's long dead and there's no records that we know of. Right. But as Hockney points out, the painting itself is a record, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, as is Tim's painting. So if if they match in all these sort of weird, quirky ways, I don't know. It was just fascinating. I still think there's art there, though. I mean, is, is this uh, is this that far removed from from Chuck Close? tackling paintings one square at a time with right. pattern. I, I agree. You know, right. pixelating basically with paint. Yeah. So, so in some ways, this is sort of a, a, a next step of our art versus craft concept. And maybe it's like, you know, art is in the head. Craft is in the hands. Maybe, you know, yeah, that, 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 that Tim deciding to create a Vermeer and going through all that, like deciding to go through all that process and having the idea was the art it's the doing that was craft and so by him saying that painting that painting 
is is objective well craft is tends to be objective you know either either you put the salts on the glass plate correctly or you didn't you know either you you know what i'm saying right so right. like the, the, so it, it then just goes back into your mind and your mind is deciding and we'll get to this in a minute with the with the country Bason interview stuff you know the mind is deciding how to frame it and when to press the button Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Your mind doesn't press the button. It just decides when you're going to, right? So the art is in the deciding, not in the pressing. Right. Yeah. I I think maybe. Hmm. I wonder for me. I have to think about this a little yep. more. But there, there. This process, if this is in fact, you know, a valid explanation of how how Vermeer painted these right. things, it doesn't allow for those sort of random happy accidents that, that much. <laughs> hmm. Go ahead. Well, it's just, it, there, there's a, there's almost a predictable outcome. Yes. And, and I mean, his argument, Tim's argument is that that's probably exactly what Vermeer was trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. That, 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 you know, there, there was lots of unpredictability at the time he was trying to cr- create an, a predictable solution to an unpredictable problem, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? So this is just a step in the thing. And they make a very convincing case. They, they don't say yes or no, but they, a lot of the things from somebody like me or you who do see the world in somewhat technical, like we understand like the, the sort of mind that this guy has. Sure. Sure. It's very convincing that he's got it. It's sort of like, you just get this feeling that you're like, Oh yeah, that's totally it. Like, Interesting. He just nails it. Yeah. As, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, like this, I'm very this guy's never painted it. in his life. Right. And he's just messing around and creates something that looks like that made Hockney, like pull the cigarette out of his mouth and go, wow, huh. you know? Yeah. So, so there's gotta be something going on. And, and I don't, but the, I mean, I guess the thing is, and the, one of the points they make in this is that why do science and engineering and art have to be two separate domains? Why is saying that him using this technique to make this painting any less than because he used tools to do it? Right. You know? Well, it doesn't have to be. Right. It doesn't have to be. I think it's a different type of art. Yeah. But I still think there is the art in in the doing of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like, you know, you coming up with the idea is great. Actually doing the idea is even better. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you should definitely go check it out. Um, and, it, you know, as, as technology does change in, in the photo world, I mean, look at have the, like all the Google Plus stuff with the auto awesome, you know. Right. It just takes the pictures from my mom or Conrad's camera and just, oh, it needs a little saturation. It needs a little contrast curve. And, oh, let's sharpen it up a little bit. Well, I mean. We'll do, we'll do that for you. Lightroom's got an auto setting. Yeah. Have you ever used it? Sure. What does it do? I don't think I've ever even pushed that. Most, button. mostly, it's a it's an exposure tweak and a brightness contrast bump. And it knows it's smart enough. Eh, it gets okay sometimes. It depends. Backlit stuff tends to not work very well. Sure. Yeah, I'm gonna hit uh, develop and I'm gonna hit auto right now. Where's the auto button? <laughs> uh, just below the white balance. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, auto. There it is. Yeah. Boom. Oh, look at that. Yeah, that did not do a very good job. <laughs> 
<laughs> Look at that. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah where's yeah. the undo? Yeah. Where's yeah. the undo? Yeah, yeah. Fail. <laughs> I love it. It's like this is this is like live radio, right? Yeah, yeah. Where's the? Oh no. Oh no, that no, didn't work no. at all. But you know, it's. I guess you know that's. Um, I, I just I just find it fascinating because I am so f- interested in. I'm fascinated by the how things are done, almost as much as I am about what it is that we're doing. Right. Sure. It's like it's like my problem with with superhero movies is that I'm much more interested in the origin story and him building his gear than I am the battle with the bad guy at the end. Yeah, it's like, yeah. the battle the, with the, the bad guy is just the, another battle the cliche, with the bad guy. third act. Yeah. Right. Like, give me the specifics. Like, how exactly does he get his car to stop in 50 feet? Like, show me the engineering <laughs> schematics, you know? Like, that to me, and I don't know, maybe that's just that's just how I'm wired. I don't know. Right. Um, so watching this was very satisfying because it showed that this very technical person could create something very beautiful by being exceptional at being very technical. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, it, it, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. it I'll, I'll what's, what what is kind of weird about it, though, is that, I mean, he's recreating the painting. Like he had models come in when he was painting the people and the whole thing and, uh, had his daughter be the girl. And, um, and, and he's, he's, he's doing all this and it's sort of like, okay, but what if you had to decide what was in front of the, the lens, Tim, like, what would you make, you know? And I don't know that he'd have an answer for that. So maybe that's well, where that, that's another, that's another part of it that you right. haven't really touched on is, is there was still composition going on. Yes. Yeah. There was still yeah. choosing what time of day yeah. to, you know He's, what I mean? This, to allow this, this showed light him, to come in. Right. This, this showed him the, the how it did not show him the why. Sure. And, and to some extent, the why, when it comes down to it, the why is much more interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think the why is is often much more interesting. Uh, I don't know. It's it's it, anyway. Good stuff. You should go watch it. Hey, um, what do you think about this Cartier Bresson interview? Uh, it's it's interesting. He he seems like a fairly rigid fellow, doesn't he? <laughs> really, you couldn't tell that by him being French. I don't know. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> no, he's ve- but he's very French about it. Like he's, he's also very... a, he's also a very rich boy, right? I mean, he's, he has yeah. he has a certain level of independence built in. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, but but really really good stuff. Uh, of 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 him going back and forth. Yes, yes, very rigid. He's very much. Um, <clears throat> he he has his worldview and he sticks to it. Well. Now, yeah, at, the, at these uh, later in life, yes, I yeah. I haven't heard very much from him or about him early in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like you know, like some of the people that we talk about, he really became more important later in life. Important so to I the wonder, world, or, or yeah, important to of the course, to yeah, photography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I wonder if, but his style of photography, his style of working, both technically and and aesthetically, were very similar throughout his life. Seemingly, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, I mean, we can I, assume that that he kind of had the same. Yeah, I don't. I don't look at Cartier Bresson things from the '60s versus the '30s and say, "Oh, that one's obviously," you know, right, other than the clothes right. on the people, you know. Um, but I wonder if making sort of those decisions about how he's going to shoot. I'm going to shoot black and white. I'm going to shoot with this 50. I'm going to have these very rigid rules of, of how I go about hunting, 
which is kind mm-hmm. of what he did. If if those things are the reason why his output has a cohesiveness and that to have a set of images that feel like a set of images, you do have to make those cuts. Sure. Well, yeah, look, it, most great art comes out of some sort of hurdle, whether those are self-imposed hurdles or technical hurdles or, right, right. you know, him at the onset saying, look, this is the type of gear that I want to use. These are the type of conditions I want to shoot in. This is, you know, those are all setups for letting him focus on the work. Yeah. Now I don't have to think about these things because I, I, I've set up the rules of the game. Yep. Absolutely. You know, very similar to the way Winogrand shot. Yes. You know, I, Winogrand wanted to just disappear. Same with, with Cartier-Bresson. I, I want to be unnoticed so that I can have the action take place around me without my interference, yeah. involvement, etc. Do you think that certain people just have that way about them? Yes. Yeah. Uh, there was, a, I, was, I was watching House recently, and there's this few episode arc in like season whatever I'm in, five, where he's got the little PI friend that he like hangs around right, with. Right, right, And he's just like, he's like, she's going to notice they're walking behind me. He's like, nah, I blend in. Like yeah. I, that I'm just, I just have that look that I just sort of, no one notices me, you know? And House is just like, well, they, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I don't have that thing. Um, and, and I think some I, people do, you know, they, where you just don't even notice that they're holding a camera or turning your yeah, way or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a Magnum photographer. I can't remember his name right now, but he said one of the things he learned from, from Cartier-Bresson was to move very slowly on the streets. Because if you move quickly and stop to make a photo, people notice you. <laughs> the world but is full of T-Rexes. But yeah, but <laughs> if, if you don't moving, move, it can't see you. <laughs> yeah. If you're moving very slowly and you, you know, you're at a stroll and you stop, nobody pays attention to you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, there, there are physical things that you can do, physical characteristics and techniques that you can employ to be uh, less obtrusive or, yeah. or even completely, you know, ob- uh, people completely oblivious to you. It's, it's funny. In, it's a few, few quotes from this thing is like, uh, he talks about overshooting is like overeating or over drinking. You know, you have to eat, you have to drink, but over is too much. By the time you press the button, by the time you press, you arm the shutter once more and maybe the picture was in between. You know, hmm. he's, he's just, he's like basically saying, you know, just wait. You know, he's like, you have one bullet in the gun and you're going to have to reload. So make sure you make that bullet count. Right. I, I like that idea. Well, oh, there was a, uh, I was watching, going back to Winogrand for a second, I was yeah. watching a, a documentary on him and same kind of thing. He, he was, he was shooting, shooting, shooting. And these, these three people happened upon the scene that he was on and in, I think it was Santa Monica and, and they were all wanting their photos taken. They were kind of mugging it up for the camera and he was out of film and they, they, the, the camera guy kind of pans over to him and here's Winogrand reloading his, his camera. And he's just like, <laughs> Hey, what are you going to do? You know, you yeah. don't want to be film. You don't want to be film, you know? Oh. And, uh, it, it was just, you know, you gotta be ready. Gotta yeah. be ready. Yeah. You know? There's a funny scene in the, that, uh, the Pete Souza white house photographer documentary where he's two, shooting pictures of like Obama and some people like, you know, the obligatory, like glad handing shot. Right, right, right. And, um, and apparently he ran out of his card filled up, you know, Ugh. and they were giving him crap about it. And it took him all of like 
11 seconds to, you know, flip the lens to the other camera or pop the card out and swap them right, or whatever it right. is. But they were like ribbing them about it. Like afterwards, and it's like really eleven seconds. That you know, it's like you can't wait eleven re- seconds. Hey, you got to be ready. Yeah, you yeah. Be ready. Uh, I like yeah. this in the Cartier-Bresson thing. Uh, can can you bear to talk about your equipment? He said, "I'm complete. I am completely and always have been uninterested in the photographic process. I like the smallest Ugh. camera possible, not those huge reflex cameras." Uh, with all sorts of gadgets when I'm working, I have an M3 because it's quicker and I'm concentrating. The interesting thing about him is that, you know, famously he didn't do, he didn't do any of the work on his pictures after snapping the button, right? Like everybody else did everything. And there were all kinds of ups and downs with his negatives. Like things were poorly exposed and, you know, people had to like, (laughs) there were the heroes in the dark room who fought to turn them into what you see today. Quite a bit of cropping going on. Uh, Yeah. Well, a lot of his stuff didn't have a lot of cropping. Uh, but a lot of other people did because uh, a lot of times, well, sometimes I guess there's cropping, but a lot of times you see, uh, you see the edges on his pictures. I just, mm. I just like the idea that there, <laughs> um, I have a friend who talks about how f- certain family members who sort of make bad decisions and nothing really bad happens to them. And she has a theory that, that it's because of all the other people in the family that are sort of holding back the tide you know, like nice. that are doing the work to hold right, to, right, to make right. him look all right. It's 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 very similar, I think, to this is where it's like he was lucky that he had really great people processing and 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 working on the prints that turned them into what they are. You know that because he always figured himself as a painter, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that was sort mm-hmm. of like the idea. Well, yeah, and that's he gave up years into his career, put down his camera rather, didn't give up, but put yeah. down his camera and went yeah. back to to drawing and painting. Yeah. What what the other th- interesting thing? Uh, he he even says that he even says that like a light meter is lazy, and photoelectric cells in the camera. I don't see why it's done. This is laziness. During the day, I don't need a light meter. Yeah, it's, it's because people saved your butt in the dark room. Yeah, it's yeah. only when light changes very quickly at dusk or when I'm in another country in the desert or in the snow. But I guess first and then I check. It's good training. It's like <laughs> he's such a schmoo. Yeah, he's see, what, what is it? I guess first and then I check. You mean? You know, the next week, once you've gotten your pictures back, yeah, yeah, how, do you, yeah. how do you check? <laughs> he also talks, I think it's in this interview or another one that I read recently, how in the beginning years of uh, Magnum, that they they didn't have a lot of money and that he came back one time and and uh, what's his name? Uh, Kappa was like, yeah, I had to, we had to spend all your money. Yeah, here it is. Uh, Magnum was the genius of Bob Kappa, who had the great invention. He was playing the horses and money paid for the secretaries. I came back nice. from the Orient and asked Kappa for the money for my money. And he said, quote, better take your camera and go work. I haven't taken your money uh, because oh, I have I have taken your money because we're almost in bankruptcy. And it's just funny that, like, if, if you think back on people say, ah, oh, the golden age of Magnum when Kappa and, and you know, right. these people were, I mean, obviously he didn't have a big deal because he had, like, family money or whatever it is. But but the agency itself was was, was, was not the, the, the powerhouse that it was right, right. later or, or maybe the romantic powerhouse. You know, I don't know that they were ever all making tons and tons of money. It was more of a prestige thing. Right. You know, uh I don't know. Interesting. Pretty good. Pretty good uh, uh, stuff in here. Was there? There was one quote that you really liked. Uh, you made you you read it before we started the thing. Uh, where was it? Where was it? You had a really good quote. No, I can't remember. Oh, if you find it, let me know. Um, oh, uh, for myself, I'm not speaking for others. I take my pleasure. 
That way, freedom for me is a strict frame. And inside that frame are all the variations possible. Yeah. I like that. Maybe I'm classical. The French are like that. I can't help it. Right. Mm. <laughs> it was it was an answer to the question. In some sense, you impose your own rules that are like disciplines for yourself. It's, yeah, it's it interesting. It kind of bags on color too, which I don't really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like when he, but what, what's interesting, he says, um, if, if somebody said to him, if you don't do color, we can't use your images. So it was a compromise and I did it badly because I didn't, I don't believe in it. It's interesting. I, you know, I think, oh, and I love this, Jeffrey, next, next, yeah. next paragraph. The reason that you have to do shooting, uh, that you have to been shooting what you see, but then there are the printing and inks and all sorts of different things that you have no control over whatsoever. Uh, there is all the interference of heaps of people. What does that to do with true color? And it's like, dude, even your black and white had to do with heaps. Of yeah. People. You, you, you had heaps of people everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, this is on, on some degree, this is photography by entourage. Yes, exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> So settle down, Henri. I just love it. I don't know. I, 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 you know, I I think if you can, you know, I don't say you, you, uh, okay. You know, you, we've talked about Rinzi Ruiz a couple of times on the show. He's started to put up some of his color work. Right. And it is just as fantastic as his black and white work. So I, I, it's like, if you can shoot, you can shoot. I don't, there might be situations where black and white might make a better picture, or color might make a better picture, but to discount one or the other off, you know, offhand, it just, I don't know, it, it rubs me the wrong way. I think, well, I think that you also have to take into account his time and place. Sure. Right. I mean, that th- this guy, he, he grew up with black and white and then film came into, or, you know, color came into whatever, but people weren't printing color until, you know, he was 20, 30 years into his career, you know. Um, right, but there's just an there's this there's this arc of sort of curmudgeonry. Yes, but that seems where, to have been since day one with him. The question yeah. is is if if he was alive today, and I'm not saying he was taking the same pictures he was taking today because that's an unfair fight, but he was taking an equivalent level of impressive pictures. It, it I wonder if 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 he got noticed at the time because of. You know, he knew people, that kind of thing, you know, because a guy going taking pictures in the French countryside for in the 1930s or whatever it was. Um, it's 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 interesting. Is, is he a creature of his time, you know, or would he even survive in today's world? I don't know. I, I think that I don't think so, because yeah. I think that, that there was such a rigidity in in how he approached not only how he shot, but what he shot. You know, compare him to somebody like I'm, I'm reading this this book called Astonish Me about Philippe Halsman, mm-hmm. where, you know, Halsman is shooting everything. He's shooting fashion. He's shooting portraits. He's shooting reportage. He's shooting advertising. He's shooting, you know, commercial work, personal work. Yep. And he's just everywhere shooting everything because he gets that it all feeds off of itself. Uh, so yes, I, you know, but how, how does Hallsman work have the same sort of continuity that Brisson's does? I think it's got a, a, a much broader scope to it. Yeah. I, I guess know, I mean, these this are, is a guy that, that, that did over a hundred covers for life magazine. Sure. That's sure. It. No, these, these are obviously the, like two birds, right? Two different, right. two different ways of going at it. And both are, are valid in their way, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I, I think Brasson though was had the benefit of time. 
Yes, but I think the other thing is that Brisson, I mean, yes, he was a professional as, you know, he got on, but he didn't he didn't have to work, right? Mm-hmm. That 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 he wanted to work and he wanted to make this stuff, but it wasn't that drive of necessity. You know, he he could he could he could sit back and and paint if he wanted to paint or pick up a camera and go take pictures if he wanted to do that. It was sure. it was a very gentlemanly kind of way of looking at it. Uh, in many ways, a very Victorian way of looking at it, mm-hmm. um, where Halsman is coming up a, l- a little bit later, maybe 15 years, 20 years later than Brisson. Is that who we we're talking about? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and 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 it really is, took off late 20s, early 30s. Right. You know, um, I just it's like it's I wonder if um, I guess, you know, they're both valid. They're just different, you know. And it, I guess I just, it comes, it comes down like, to what you're trying to get out of it. I, I feel like the rigidity for for me, because I, have, you know, on a personal level, I have so many interests in so many different things sure. that 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 rigidity would feel stifling to me. Um. Well, yeah, but see, he's he's saying that that it, it's 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 what interests him, right? right so he right. he sees freedom in those walls mm-hmm. where you see walls. Right, you know, yeah, um, to a certain degree, sure, yeah. It's it's um interesting though. Ted, ch- check it out. Oh, it's yeah, fascinating article, and uh, you guys should put a link for that Halsman book in in the thing. Who 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 printed that one? Uh, Prestel, okay. Prestel, yeah, working on a review for it. it it's it's good. I mean, it, it, the guy was everywhere, and you know, I was reading it, going, you know to myself, this, this is the kind of photographer Bill would refer to as a monster, right. you know, just because yeah. he's shooting everything, you know, uh, designed his own camera, designed his own nine by 12 centimeter camera, which he then had built by the grandson of the cabinet maker that made Daguerre's cameras. Right, 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 <laughs> you know? right, right, so right. It's like, what? Yeah. yeah. It's funny. You know, that's, there's another, I mean, very similar sort of split. I've been reading that, um, I can't remember the name of it now. That that book about Daguerre and Talbot. Um, oh right, the um, capturing the light. I capturing think it's the called. light. Yeah, I've been reading that. I, I just slowly when I you know I've nothing else to do on the subway. It's on my Kindle, um, and it's it's interesting because Daguerre was a businessman and a showman and 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 doing these dioramas and then trying to come up with this stuff on the side and and uh, befriending Napice and he's like all these kinds of. Uh, he was really the uh, more commercial side of it, right? Right. Where right. where Talbot was a, a gentlemanly guy who was a member of parliament and and you know ran a home that was handed down to him from his parents and had had a monthly income of ten thousand pounds or whatever it is. Like you know what I mean? Like he didn't need to do anything, and he chose to. To, to to mess around with these chemicals to almost in, in a very sort of enlightenment kind of way, you know, right. sort of like it in much the same way that I said, Brisson is very Victorian. This guy was almost very enlightenment, you know, um, it is. It, so like two different ways of coming at the same problem. And again, b- both of them sort of made it, you know, right. Uh, right. I don't know. Fascinating. I, it's um, on my, that's on my reading list actually. So I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's good, good stuff. Um, all right, where do you want to go from here? 
where do we go from here? I don't know. Is this this Instagram thing? Is that worth talking? I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, it's worth it's you know what it is. It's worth talking about in the sense of um, who is it? Uh, Carl Beal. Oh, the, the, the Johnson. Thing. Yeah, the Johnson thing. Yeah. Is it Carl who sent that in? Here, yeah. Right. So uh, Mike Johnston, uh, who runs the online photographer, uh, Carl Beal sent this in. And he th- there was an article recently called My Somber Day Yesterday, which was a follow up to the former one, which was the culture of photography. Right. Um, and the, the idea in this was that, uh, you know, that, that the, it's a, he, he wrote basically a post about, it's a great time for photography and, but other people went back and forth that, that he was saying that it's not a great time for photography, you know, or, or that, that it's very mixed blessing in so many ways, right. That, you know, if you're, if you're a photojournalist, it's a bad time for photography. You know, if you're an Instagram person, it's a good time for, for photography. Now things have always been changing, right. You know, sure. I mean, you know, uh, but things are changing even faster now. Um, so your, your article you put in was all about, uh, people making money on Instagram. And we talked about that a, a few weeks ago where, uh, these people were basically, they had 50,000 followers or a hundred thousand followers and, brands would come to them and send them say a Gucci bag to have their Gucci bag in one of their Instagram pictures, knowing that it's going to 150,000 people of whom, you know, a bunch of them are the kinds of people with disposable income who like fashiony kinds of stuff. Cause that's the right. kind of stuff they shot. Right. So in some ways it's like you're selling your photography, but really you're selling your audience. Right. And that's, that's sort of the game. Um, in that case. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's interesting, yeah, that these people, I mean, it's the same argument people have made for getting a big social media following is that you can then say to the clients, like, yeah, I'm doing this, but I'm also going to get eyes on, you know, thousands of people are going to get their eyes on it because of this reason and whatnot. Um, it's just, it's changing the world, you know, and the way it works. Now, it's not changing it for everybody. You know, there are still people making money in all the traditional ways of photography. Right. I guess there aren't as many people. Um, do you feel like the, 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 the days back when, when like, let's say 97, 98, 99, the sort of heyday of the first dot com boom. I mean, you were, you were around doing work web, yep. web stuff then. Yeah. And you could charge a lot more for it then. And then there were all these people coming into these companies who weren't really that good at it, but the companies needed bodies. So those people came in. Right. Do you remember all that? Sure. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was a, like now it was a blessing and a curse. Yeah. There were, there were a few people doing it really well, but there were a lot of people doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like when, when flash took over, when flash really, hmm, and this was probably when action script 2.0 came out where it really became a lot more robust. Right. Yeah. So it started out for those of you who don't know, flash started out as, as a, an app called future splash, um, and then Macromedia bought it and turned it into Flash and threw a bunch of development dollars at it. And it, and it became a really great platform. I used to love developing for Flash. Yeah, I did too. And it was everywhere. But there was a lot of really bad 
flash. This, this was the age of the, the, uh, the website trailer or the website intro. Yeah. Flash interstitials. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. like, yeah, the, the, the long four minute thing in the beginning that did got you into the pictures or whatever. Right. It is. Right. And a lot of, uh, a lot of the old time photographers still have those on their site. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and it was everywhere. Flash for a while became ubiquitous yep. with, with the web. Um, well, it was a way to turn the web into something more than just blue underlined links, right? To make yes. it feel more like a movie. And and really big companies sure. you know, were using Flash. I mean, I was doing Flash for a lot of entertainment companies. Yep. I was doing Flash for, for lifestyle companies, yep. for food companies. Even. I was for electronics brands yeah. and Sprint. It was and, everywhere. Yeah. Yep. But for for every, you know one studio that was doing it really well for every sort of blast radius or frog at the time, you know, there were, you know, two dozen other studios just kind of pumping up the price, but really delivering crap work. Right. So the crash comes, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, we're seeing the same thing now. There, there are still really great photographers that are embracing new media as well as, as traditional media, but there are also a bunch of them just trying to cash in and producing right. mediocre work. Right. And so I guess the thing is that, is it that the photography business in the market has really fallen under hard times? Or is it that the technology that we talked about in the first story has allowed so many more people to come in and claim that they're at a certain level that it's just diluted the pool of photographers and that's really what's doing the damage is, is the bad know. web designers versus. I, I, I hear that argument and I, I don't know. And I kind of go back to, you know, pencils have always been cheap, but there aren't too many Hemingways. Right, right, right. But cameras just got cheap is my point. Well, so yeah, maybe you're seeing, you know, maybe we're seeing a backlash of, yeah. of that. We're still in the, the midst of that. Everybody wants to jump on board and, and, you know, Hey, for five, I mean, you've seen these, these training things for $5,000, you can be a professional photographer. Well, no, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because yeah. it's, it's more than just wandering over to B and H or Sammy's and getting, you know, check, checking off list on uh, uh, gear on a list. It's more than that. It right. always has been this, right. in the same way that, that becoming a painter means more than you, you know, buy squirrel hair brushes and, you know, cadmium red. I mean, you, it, you have to do more than check the boxes. Uh, I like, I, I prefer horsehair brushes myself. Whatever. Yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, I don't know. I, I read articles like this and, you know, there's one guy who writes in, uh, this is on the Johnston thing. There's one guy who writes in, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. It was the, it was the earlier article, uh, who writes in John camp. And he says in the Paris salon of 1880, there were more than 7,000 paintings exhibited. Uh, these were the ones judged good enough to get in. If you Google how many pro photographers in the United States, the first answer that comes out is from the Bureau of labor statistics, about 143,000, you know, the point being, there are apparently a lot of photographers whose work does get bought and seen, just not a lot of photographers that you know, because this site, and he's talking about this uh, online photographer, uh, is mostly attended by people who are interested in a small subset of photography called art. To succeed as an, as an artist, you need a lot of qualities most people can't combine. Extreme talent, strong business sense, the ability to self-promote, even possibly good looks. There were 7,000 paintings displayed in the Paris Salon of 1880. How many painters from 1880 can you name? 
And if you can name 20 or unusual, several dozen or perhaps even a couple hundred are still considered collectible. The rest are simply gone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that, you know, well, I, th- I think there are a lot of with with art too. there. Are, we talk about this a few episodes ago with, with the Paris photo follow up. A lot of it is still sort of short term. I'm going to sell five of these at five thousand dollars a piece. Yeah. Well, why not sell, you know, a hundred of them at, you know, whatever a piece. Why? Hmm. I just think that that art as a commodity is bordering on toxic. Look, I think the your prices, uh, the prices are too high, but I also think there's just not a lot of people buying. You know, if, if I if I offered any of my pictures for, I don't know, 100 bucks, 150 bucks, like any less than that. And it's like, OK, the time it takes for me to print them and get the stuff in the shopping, whatever it is, it cost me, you know, t- 10 bucks to ship plus six dollars. So things it cost me 16 dollars plus the time to do it. I can't charge thirty five dollars for the print. You know what I mean? Or else it just becomes economically like not worth it. Right. So there has to be some sort of. But there, 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 I think there needs to be a shift much in the same way that that software went from fifty dollars, one hundred dollars, seventy five dollars to ninety nine cent apps, dollar ninety nine apps. They had to take that plunge and they had to create that sort of paradigm shift. Somebody had to go first and then somebody had to go second and then somebody had to go one hundredth. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just think that there needs to be a shift in in the perception of it right right and is there great work being done on instagram you bet there is yeah of course there is is, is there yeah. great work being done on Flickr? 500 pixels there's 500 great work absolutely. being done on facebook you know yeah. right absolutely right yeah but that but that doesn't mean that there's monetary success in those things because it doesn't necessarily mean that the kinds of pictures people take are the kinds of pictures people want for money, whether for art or for commerce or for whatever. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And you know, a lot of it really does come down to luck and a lot of it comes down to who, you know, where you are, you know, I mean, there, you know, I just got an email from an old friend of mine asking me if I'd like a retouching job and I don't generally do other people's retouching, but eh, sure. If the price is right, give it a shot. Right. Um, so it's 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 an interesting it's just it's a very interesting world and I guess I'm kind of coming to the point where it's like <sighs> there's no use discussing the business because any amount of discussion doesn't change the business. Uh See by and large, sure. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like we we could discuss this till the cows come home doesn't change the facts of what's going on. And I don't think we're ever going to figure out until 30 years later, looking in hindsight, what was really going on back and forth, you know, that the, the, the real motivations of, because it's so many things, because it is too many people in the market, because it is lower, uh, budgets because things are being used online and they don't think they're going to make as much money on them. It is the, the fact that there's a global economic, economic slump. There's, you know, it's, it's all of these things right, combined. Right. Well, and, and what's the, the quote from Blade Runner? Rachel says, I'm not in the business. I am the business. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and that's that's kind of it, 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 this sort of creative game. That's the thing, right? You you are the business. You are the brand. You are, you are, you are. Right. There There is not a separation of, of or there's, there's the lines are even blurrier of this, uh, of separating what you make from who you are. It's all part and parcel. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, you know, it's, it also, I mean, it really comes down to, and, and we talk about this sometimes, but uh, I don't know, for me, it really comes down to what kind of life you're trying to lead and what you're trying to accomplish. You know, if what you're trying to accomplish is business success, that's one thing. If what you're trying to accomplish is, is fulfillment emotionally, that's another thing, you know, and a lot of photography is not all about the dollar and it's, or it's not all about making something that somebody feels is really beautiful. It it could be anywhere in between those things and both and neither, you know, may I make a suggestion? Sure. And this is, this is, this is going to sound like a shameless plug and and to a certain extent it is. Um, You know, I'm a huge fan of David Dushman. Yeah. David's got a brand new book out. uh, Just came out mm, yesterday, I think day before yesterday called a beautiful anarchy. Uh, the subtitle is uh, when the life creative becomes the life created. So if, if, if I were going to open this up and read the first few pages, what kind of, what kind of things would they say? Well, okay. One of the, one of the things that I really like about this book was, is David has moved away in this title from discussing photographic vision, 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 right. to the broader discussion of what does living a creative life mean? Yeah. It's, it's sort of the, the, the Philip, uh, not Philip, Stephen Boyle, the, the, you know, quit focusing on making art, focus on becoming an artist and the art will come. Right. And wait, but which is kind of interesting because you've said in the past, it's not about naming yourself an artist first. It's about doing the art first. Uh, Right. So it's, but this is saying, do be, decide you're an artist and then the art will come. Right. I, I don't Well, I would, I would, I wouldn't say artist. I would say okay. living a creative life is different than, than simply giving yourself this moniker of, of being an artist. Um, I, I still don't like that term. Right. And I, uh, that, that's my own thing. Um, here, uh, in the introduction, uh, this book is for people who have a sense of their own urge to create or those who don't but long to look under the hood and find it waiting there. But to its bones, this is a book about art and the process of making it because what is our life but a chance to make the greatest art of all? Whether you ever set your paintbrush on actual canvas isn't remotely the point, though I hope you will. What is very much the point is that each of us is given a canvas from one edge of the other, the span of our life, and each of us has a chance to do something brilliant with it. Each of us has a chance to fill the canvas with wild, achingly beautiful swirls of color. And if you're reading this, there's a chance that you feel right now that your canvas is empty or dotted here and there with hesitant, half-hearted stops and starts. The brush pulled up before you could really even gain momentum for fear of doing it wrong. Yeah. Man, he can write. Yeah. David. Oof. Anyway, I'm sitting down with David on Thursday to talk about it. I, I, so I'm excited about I, it. I think there's a lot there. I, I yeah, I just, you know, it's, it's you, most of this, the frustration and the anger either comes from not being able to define what your goals are, you know, um, because if, if, if you can define your goals better, 
then you have an easier time trying to figure out what the strategy should be to get those goals, you know? And then you, you easier, it's easier to measure and you could objectively sort of have a ruler then of, you know, how many dollars or, you know, how, am I, am I happier today than I was yesterday or no more people or whatever your, your thing is, you know? Um, yes. Uh, see, I, I find I am, I'm in kind of a, a weird space because I find that I'm happiest when my hands are in motion. I'm happiest when I'm making something. Mm-hmm. But I also, <laughs> I also lament that I have to be making something to earn a living. Like there, I, I well, want- you lament that it's it's not that you it's see for me if anything it's more that I don't have enough people wanting to pay me to make well, stuff for a living, that's or the I can thing. fill sixty hours a week. Or whatever. Right. That's that's what I'm trying to okay, get at. Got is it. is I have to be making things to to make a living. I don't make money while I sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's at least one of the goals because there aren't enough waking hours for me to keep doing this all the time. Right. Despite my insomnia. So you want passive income is what you're telling me. Uh, at, at least a little bit. Yeah. You, you know, and marry maybe some that's, heiress or something like that. No, that would no, do. no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, you know, that's at least part of it. Sure. But, but I do love the creating and I feel like, I feel like I'm at long last coming out of the dark. Okay. You know, where I am starting to make things again, where I am making incremental steps towards an end product, towards an end goal. And that, and that, okay. And that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing. So what's in between here and the end goal? Uh, practice. Okay. Um, intent, purpose. Fuzzy words. Yeah. And, and just finding my way through these, through these processes. I, look, I, I like the idea of like a lot of words like that, but they don't actually mean anything to me because they can mean anything. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that, that's where I, that's where I have a hard time with, with reading stuff like that, I was like, well, what does this really mean other than to give me a warm, fuzzy feeling? Well, and, and there are, that's the introduction. That's, that's, that's the, uh, the the first taste is free. Okay. Right. You, you want more, you got to come back. Okay. Yeah. And, and there's some great stuff in it. It's, it's probably my favorite of his books. You love this guy. I do. He's your, he's your buddy. He's, he's a good guy and he's, he's a good person. He's a good person. Uh, a good photographer. He seems like a very nice guy. I have to meet yep. him one day. Yep. Good guy. Yeah. I, I, I still have yet to meet him in person. You got to make that happen. I know. You still have to come see, meet me in person. I've met you in person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, uh, we, we, sh- we should talk about our sponsor. Or what? Yeah. Uh, uh, we're sponsored by Squarespace today. Squarespace. We, we love, we love the Squarespace. Can't go wrong with Squarespace. That was, that was their new jingle, by the way. What was the old one? I don't remember now. It's been, it's been so long. I've, I've forgotten. Yeah. Uh, Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store for a free trial and 10% off. That was nice. That was, that was a nice little inflection. Online store. That was, that was, that was. (laughs) 
was great. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and use the offer code OTP at checkout. A better web starts with your website. And I'll tell you, I have been using uh, Squarespace for, I don't know, how many months now? Six months? Are so? you still using Wexley? What are you using? Uh, Wexley, yes. Yeah, okay. with, with a bit of custom stuff to get it feeling a little more the way I want. Um, they should name it to Wadley. See, I, I'm working your, on that. That's your custom version. That's coming up. Uh, <laughs> shh, you just ruined my surprise. You stole Thanks, my thunder. Um, <laughs> look, uh, Squarespace is so simple and easy. Even I can use it. Uh, it's got beautiful design, drag and drop content. It's so nice being able to just drag pictures over into a, into a field. Uh, uh, yeah, now it's fun for your pictures to be a drag. Uh, cute. Oh, 24 by seven support, uh, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week support through live chat and email, uh, located in New York city and Dublin now, probably for the, for the European crowd. Uh, the chat support and stuff. These guys are great. Uh, st- plans start at eight, only $8 a month includes a free domain name. If you sign up for a year, all the designs are responsive, right? So they all work. Uh, you know, you have your, you have your phone, you have your iPad, you build your site for one. It takes care of all the rest, which is very, very handy. You know, responsive design, doing it yourself is a real pain in the neck. Uh, you think these, these guys have, have got it down. Uh, and of course, every site comes with an online store, even the $8 a month plan. You know, you can start out with sell sell a single thing. So if you're selling a print or, or you want somebody to donate to you or that kind of thing, you could totally make that happen. Uh, and you can start with a free trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. So let's say you're using some other company or some other plan. You can go start a website on Squarespace, play with it for two weeks. Don't even have to give them a credit card, build it out, import your WordPress blog or your Tumblr or whatever, and, and try it out. And if you like it, you know, you pay, you, you use it and it's, it's great. Make sure you use the offer code OTP for that. Uh, so when you decide to sign up, Use the offer code OTP. You get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for on taking pictures. Uh, so thank you to Squarespace for supporting five by five and on taking pictures. Squarespace, a better web starts with your website. Cause the I web, still think it's, it's, you'll thank us for making your pictures a drag. That's, that's, that's yeah, that's their new, I'll, I'll, I'll they'll put that in the hopper. They'll think about it. <laughs> We're working on that. We'll get back to you. Damn it. I get so many of those. We'll get back to you. Uh, that's so genius. Uh, all right. What else we got? Uh, yesterday, big day for Apple. Yep. Uh, a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, that was yesterday was the day that the price got locked in for the seven to one split that's coming up on the ninth. Uh, okay. So I, I will have, I will have, I think I have like 20 shares, which means I'll have, do I have to disclose that? That I own shares in Apple for if we're talking about Apple for I don't I don't think so. Journalistic integrity. I have I have shares now. I'm not okay. telling you how many, but I Yeah. I, I'm I, a happy I'm a happy boy, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh anyway, so so yeah, they're doing a seven to one split on the ninth. Um but WWDC, their annual developer conference, which as has been the case for the past I don't know how many years, it's the biggest one yet. Um what do they have? Six thousand developers there. Yeah, something like something that. like that. But they the sell young, out youngest in all one of six six minutes. Yeah, the youngest one, thirteen years old. Thirteen years old. Can I start singing the Big Star song now? <laughs> well, what was the guy? I love uh, that the song. Guy that uh, 
I think he was 16, the guy that wrote Sumley, sold okay. it to Yahoo for $33 million. Good for him. Right? Little bastard. <laughs> I hope you blow it all on the horses. <laughs> the ponies. The That's ponies. Right. Then come back begging us to uh, buy your next money app. left. Yeah. Bowl on the yeah. ponies. I did it all on Legos and... Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, some some uh, really software, no no hardware announcements, no, no. which, you know, people are like, oh, they didn't announce any hardware. Well, no, they, they wouldn't, because typically this is all about the software. Yeah. Um, and and it, the, the further convergence of, of OS X and iOS, I got to tell you, though, I think the new iteration of OS X is gorgeous. Yeah, it's pretty. Well, you know what? It needed a, a refresh. I mean, it's not different. It's just polished, right? Right. And they've needed a polish for a long time. So yeah. uh, I'm all. I was worried that Johnny Ive was going to end up like iOS sevening it, and iOS seven does not look that good to me. So I was worried that he was going to change too much, and it wouldn't be OS ten anymore. But yeah, there's subtle changes. Yeah, they they you know? did find things, and and some of them that I don't think really make big difference. But whatever, I'll you know, I'll, it's there's nothing there that that upsets me. One of the nice things they added was a dark mode for the overall, the main uh, uh, nav up top. Right, so, the title bar. Right, and instead then, of yeah. black text on the white or light gray background, you can have white text on a uh, dark gray background, which I know is, is this really small thing and whatever, but if you're in a darkened room retouching and you have a big bright white thing along the top of the page, yeah. um, that can be very distracting. Uh, you know what What else they, they seem to have fixed that I have never liked is the way that the entire desktop slides over to reveal the notification panel. Yeah, where what is it going to do now? It's, it's now just the notification just kind of slides over on top of everything. Yeah, sometimes they do stuff that is like they're they're trying too hard to uh make to use all of the crazy little tricks they have to use, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, I, another thing that was interesting is how many <laughs> sort of existing apps or technologies they have may, maybe not killed but put into question. You know, they've got sort of their own version of Dropbox, their own version of Alfred, yeah. their own version of... I'll still of, you be using Dropbox. Yeah. yeah well, and I, I, I still will be too, but it's it's interesting how seamless they've tried to make these things. And I think that was their their big focus was integration between iOS and OS X. And for the most part, I, I think they've they've done a pretty superb job. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, they, they've done a good job and they're, they're not too much like each other. But I like that, yeah, I like that darkened thing. And uh, and then in iOS 8, they've added a whole bunch, tons of APIs, one of which, thank the heavens, yeah, is finally uh, manual camera control in the API. Now, that doesn't mean that the iOS 8 stock camera app is going to have manual control, but it's going to allow people like Mapbox and Blur and all these other, you know, Hipstamatic and whoever else. Right. Well, 645 Pro. What else? 645 Pro. What yeah, other ones I'm, I'm hoping... You know, that, that Ben Cyberson, yeah. Ben, talking to you, Ben. Uh, you think we should tell Ben about this? I think we should tell Ben about this. Okay. Uh, maybe add some of this new whiz-bang stuff into Matbox, because Matbox, I'm loving Matbox. If you guys aren't using Matbox on, on your iPhone, you're, you're just, you're missing out. Cause it's, a, it's a pretty nice camera app. But I think then they'll be able to do so much more with uh, being able to, to, to control exposure and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've been trying to figure out how they're, hacking it otherwise they you know i was thinking about it and 
here's here's my guess on how they're doing it right now because they have an exposure compensation. Here's yep. how I think they're doing it. I think that they're taking a histogram of the image, right? Mm-hmm. And then they are uh, figuring out where the different tones sit. So if you want a brighter image, it finds a darker tone and programmatically essentially taps the image to set exposure to put that in the middle. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, okay. I think okay. that's the trick they're using to do it. And I may be wrong, but that's my guess. That's how I would do it. But you know what I want to see, but to be able to just say, I want a f- fast shutter speed or just open up the aperture all the way. I don't mind if things blur out. Like, uh, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? I want to see a view camera app for the iPad, both mini and air. That'd be cute. Like, like with the ground glass and you can control, you know, you can control focus and maybe even, uh, uh apply some, and edges. Yeah. Blur. Real time tilt shift kind of things. If anybody wants to do that, hit me up. I'd love to collaborate on something like that. Oh, that would be fun. Let's do an OTP eight like by a, 10, like a V, right? <clears throat> yeah. That cool. would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Where you can control sort the of one for the mini would be called four by five. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> That would actually be really cool, and if somebody somebody should do that if they haven't if they haven't planned to already. OTP four by like, five. You know what? That would be awesome. They, 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 how many years has it been? Was it two thousand seven that the iPhone came out? Yes. It's taken Apple seven years to give programmers this ability. Come on, they could have done this in version two. You know, well, but you know, obviously what? they're using it. Quit, quit your complaining. At least they're doing it. Yeah, you're, you're always so. complaining about it. They're Ooh, coming. Should have done it sooner. Can, yeah. can you hear the? Uh, the yeah. sirens. See, that's the Apple. They're, they're coming the, for you. The Apple secret police. That's right. The well-dressed yet jackbooted thugs are going <laughs> like, to come busting through your door. my windows. That's right. They're going to repel into your building. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, interesting stuff. And uh, hopefully they'll do something good with it. You know, I, I, one other little thing you were just saying about the iCloud stuff. Um, they're now storage. Like you can buy a terabyte for 10 bucks a month and this kind of thing. Yes. Um, I, man, has Apple ever done online? Like, do, would you trust Apple? Yes. You would? Yes. See, I wouldn't trust Apple's online services for at least two years of solid service. They've ne- nothing ever seems to work right. All the syncing, no one uses the, like, uh, the state app syncing stuff through iCloud. Like, it's just, it's, they've never done web stuff right. And I don't think that, I don't know that they will now. You I know? don't agree. I trust them more than I trust Google. Interesting. For like, for web stuff? Across the board. Or or you mean from like, they're not going to share my data stuff or they're not going to lose my data stuff? Uh, Either or. See, I just, I believe in the company. uh, See, I like, they have shown nothing that says that they know what they're doing with online stuff to me. Like they've, iCloud's been out for like two years and people... I, I, I always like say, can just save it locally whenever I open a text See, I, document. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I use, uh, I use uh, an app on my iOS devices called Daedalus for most okay. of my writing. Yeah. Uh, and it syncs to, to syncs to the cloud yeah. and it uses Ulysses on yeah. the Mac. Okay. I had no problems with I just, it. I use, I, like, I use I just, the keychain. I, I just love the, uh, I like the Dropbox. I like knowing that it's a, it's a folder somewhere that I can get into and get my stuff out, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a peace of mind thing. Maybe I'm old, but like, oh, the idea of like, oh, we changed something and now half your images are corrupt or moved over here or you can't get to them because that app is no longer available or, you know, right. that just seems like a nightmare waiting to happen. I think they're making a big push in, into, into, I hope they do it right, but they've, 
up until now, they've never really gotten any traction with any of that stuff. So it'll be interesting. Hey, a uh, couple things. Yep. Rancho Cucamonga got a shout out. <laughs> that in was the, awesome. Uh, <laughs> in the keynote. Yeah, he's just like, <laughs> we were trying to think of a great name for the new Mac OS X. So we decided to call it Mac OS X Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs> Laughs like, throughout wait, the what? entire crowd. And you were like, yeah. yeah. You, you went outside and waved up to the satellite. I did. I did. I was like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I like that. And I like the little, like, you, you haven't had campfire chili until you've had one out, uh, until you've eaten it with one of Johnny Ives. Uh, handcrafted aluminium spoons. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> He's like, it's the diamond cut chamfered edges really make all the difference. Oh, and they were talking about them going camping together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's silly. silly. Um, anyway, silly. so uh, good stuff. I guess we'll find out in a couple months whether it's worth it. I signed up for the beta, and maybe I'll get another drive and install it on it just to mess around. Um, I was going to, and I thought, you know what? Nope. Yeah. I, everything's running the way I want it to run. And it'll be uh, in the uh, fall. And it's free. So it'll come eventually. It's free. Um, So there's that. Hey, there's an article on Gizmodo's little reframe sub blog uh, about uh, Rochester, New York, which is which is famously where uh, Kodak was born and raised. And just about how the city has changed since Kodak sort of fell apart, including a, a really kind of an interesting photo essay of empty parking lots and empty theaters. And yeah, it's weird. It's, it's, it's almost really like creepy. Detroit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was when I was up there driving around where, uh, you know, the main buildings where all this stuff was. I mean, there are still cars in the parking lots, but not what there are. Yeah, couldn't couldn't have been like it. Yeah. Anywhere near like it was. And, I mean, you could imagine the 80s. It must have been bustling there. How many people did Kodak employ? Do, we, do, you, do you have a number? Uh, you know, I don't – that is a good question. I don't know exactly, but it was – probably 150,000 or something like that. Wow. Wow. Uh, it was, I mean, it was a big company, right? I mean, I actually, that's probably, that's probably low. Mm-hmm. I've, I have no idea. Um, yeah, apparently let's see, do they say now? I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that and get in there. The problem. Yeah. The problem is from the outside, it doesn't look like all that much mm-hmm. uh, from the inside. I'm sure it's really impressive, but you know, yeah, I'd, to I'd love to somebody. just wander through the, like, take a tour or, or, you know, wander around with a security guard inside the factory. That yeah. would be fantastic. I think we need to find somebody who either works there or a listener of the show. Yeah. Uh, can anybody make that happen? I mean, this, this, this girl, Catherine Lutenegger. Yeah, but she didn't she get inside. In. Oh, she didn't. Well, I mean, she's not inside the factory floor and stuff. I mean, you know, there's some pictures from certain buildings, but not. I'd imagine that there's more impressive stuff than that. But they probably can't take pictures of any of that stuff because. For, you know, legal reasons, they don't want people seeing the process or whatnot, you know? Why? Nobody's doing it. I mean, it's, 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 it's a dying process. Yeah. You're, you're, you're speaking to normal people who, you know, <laughs> not crazy lawyer people. You yeah. Know? yeah good I, you know, there's a great photograph here on Insta on uh, Wikipedia. I'm going to put it in the Skype for you of an Instagram 104. Now that is a cool camera that you should. Should, oh wow! That's you should a make great a T-shirt camera. out of one of those. Make a shirt of one of those. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I've, I my grandparents had one of those. I remember that. That's crazy. Wow. Isn't that cool looking? <laughs> is, oh, and that, look at the shutter release is just like that little that rocker little button, button up the front. The front. Oh yeah, put put this in the show notes. This is okay. neat. You guys, yeah. you guys will like this. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, let's see what else we got. Um, so they finally, uh, or finally, there was a review of the Leica T on the Verge. And the Leica T is the new sort of mirrorless Leica that's trying to catch a similar market to the Fuji things, but for people who want the Leica badge on the front. 
Not going to happen. It's machined out of a single piece of aluminum. It's really tight. Yeah, you, know, you held on to one. What'd you think? It was a mess. I don't like it at all. Okay. And this is like a lot of money. It looks great. Okay. It's impressive that it's, that it's, you know, made out of aluminum, yeah. whatever. But the, the problem is that if you hold this thing for longer than five minutes, because it's metal and your hands are warm and you know, you're going to start perspiring. It's just really uncomfortable to hold. It's like slippery. It ends up After slippery. a while. Yeah. It ends up being, I mean, and then somebody was saying that the, uh, the interface he said the issue is compounded by the slow response of the interface. It behaves more like a low-end Android phone from three years ago than a high-end smartphone of today. If you were thinking a, view, a viewfinder could fix all those issues, think again. The optional $600 electronic viewfinder includes GPS, but it's clunky and unsurprisingly expensive. It takes half a second or more for the camera to switch to the viewfinder from rear display yeah. when you hold it up to your eye. You, with, with the eye sensor, yep. It, it just seems like this is like a, a, a camera company that made physical things just is trying to get into electronics way too late. Um, he was saying that the, uh, the, if there was one word to describe what it's like to shoot with the Leica T, it's slow. Slow to turn on, slow to focus, slow to review pictures, slow to navigate menus. The slowness of the camera further separates the T from the M, which is instantaneous to use because of its manual approach. All those things have been excusable, would have been excusable five years ago, but with cameras like the Sony A6000 for under $800, it runs laps around the T. They're impossible to ignore. Why couldn't, why couldn't Leica, or even, you know, let's talk about Leica for, for a yeah. second. Why couldn't Leica create a sub-brand? Of that, what? a sub-brand of camera. Okay. That's, you know, it's made by Leica, but... It's it's a different series where they can they can not have to resort to six hundred dollar viewfinders and you know three thousand dollar bodies and and it, yeah well that's just, well then you can buy a Fuji and I, gladly yeah and I I mean, I mean I'm trying to be glib I'm I'm serious like it's no I know I mean that's I, that's their game I but think, are they setting themselves up well, or, what or really are there enough people is, who don't care about price that are going to buy this thing that, well I don't know that there's nearly as many people as they think apparently you need a special tool to put the uh, strap on it because it uses some sort of peg hole system peg and socket type um, it re- requires a special tool not unlike the SIM card tool on a smartphone um. It's what what I find fascinating about this is that the original M cameras from the M3 on have not changed very much. You know, you buy an M7 or just a, a what of the MP now, except for minor differences. It's the same as the M4. Yeah, it has a meter now. You know, it's like it, it has aperture priority mode, but that a lot of people don't use and whatever. Um, but but what made it beautiful and why it's it's in MoMA as like a piece of art or whatever is because it is so functional that it's nearly perfect. You see what I'm saying? Sure. It's like it's been refined to the point where it does what it does and it does those things so well that it is beautiful because of its efficiency. Sure. It feels it, it like it's out of your way. Right. Yeah. This camera, it, they were trying to make something that was beautiful seemingly in disregard of what it meant to use it. You know, they they came at it from the, uh, the from the opposite direction, mm-hmm. you know. And I, and that's what's really frustrating. Apparently, the metal gets polished for forty five minutes straight by a Leica technician. Yeah. <laughs> Your thousands of dollars have to go somewhere. I guess well, the and, reason and, I bring this up is that it makes me sad. Yeah, I mean, from an engineering standpoint, I'm I'm sure it's a great Beautiful. achievement. But yep. if it's if it's sluggish 
and uncomfortable and yields mediocre results and it's expensive. Then what's the point? What's the point? Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, sad to hear that, you know, um, but again, you, like you said, there's in the background is a, like M sitting on the, on the table that an M six or, you know, probably an M six can't quite tell, uh, that, that looks just beautiful sitting back yeah, there and you go, I'd I rather want have that. that one, you know? Um, yeah. or if, if I need to stay digital, I, I would rather have my X pro. If right. somebody said, look, you can have an X pro or you can have this Leica, I'll keep my X pro. Yeah. Yeah. I have I have a, I have friends who have bought you know when um it was Panasonic right that was making the Leica branded stuff a few years ago the little digicams and stuff that had Leica oh yeah and I still have my LX3 great little camera right but there was a Leica version of the LX3 right yeah and it was I think it was almost nine hundred dollars and there was no difference uh no label label that was really it mm-hmm. it wasn't like there were extra features or it was made out of better metal or something. Uh, no. And what I rem what, from what I remember, they didn't share the same firmwares. Like you, the Leica firmware was different. So when oh. Panasonic updated it, you couldn't. So they soft locked it for some reason. Something. Yeah. It was the, the D deluxe. Is that what it, I seem to remember? Yep, it was yep, like D, yep, D, yep. deluxe yeah. three deluxe. Four, I know somebody like who has one of those and I, I don't know if they bought it not knowing or if they bought it just because of the label on purpose. I have to ask them next time. Um, yeah, I, I mean, maybe I, there's a difference. It makes me them. sad because like, it's like, you know, this is, this is like a hammer with like gold inlay, whatever it is. It's like, well, that doesn't make it a better hammer. If you told me that making the thing out of a certain kind of wood made the swinging hurt your hand less then make it out of that fancier wood. And that makes sense. Right. But, but just painting the handle a different color and calling it a different thing. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. It's just really upsetting that like a sort of, it's, it's almost, it's, I feel bad for like, it's almost embarrassing. It's like you guys have you guys could have been this brand that was fantastic and now you're sort of throwing it away on this high margin garbage which isn't good for the one person who really wants to use your camera which is photographers which is where you used to make your money. I well I would I wouldn't call it garbage but it's I think Well this guy the says it's really bad. Yeah. You know like Im- almost impossible to use. Mm. Um which d- just you know for th- $3,600 or whatever it is, you know, it says just like the five figure Rolex gives the same exact time as the $30 Timex, but looks a whole lot better while doing it. The Leica T takes the same pictures as almost any other mirrorless camera, but looks better doing it. The real problem is that the Leica T doesn't live up to the standard of luxury. It carries many costs and compromises, yet it lacks all the emotional appeal that comes with the traditional Leica. Hmm. Anyway, interesting. Um, you like these Julian Wasser photos from New York? These are interesting. I, I was not uh, aware of these. Yeah. So I'm going to put these in the show notes. It was a Time Magazine blog, you know, the right. culture blog. Um, and it's, 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 I think they're all from a great book called uh, um, the, the Way We Were. And it's, you know, there's crazy. Not to be b- confused with the Robert Redford. No. Although film. I hear that movie is very good. I've never gone around to watch it. It is very good. It. Um, pictures of John Travolta from the seventies, Sophia yeah, Loren with, from the sixties. Denny Terrio. Yeah. Right. Man, Sophia Loren was hot. Beautiful uh, yeah. Woman. Um, Natalie Wood, like in a car Streisand when she was a kid, Hitchcock reading a newspaper on set of Marnie, uh, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff from the time there, there's a picture of the corner van driving away from hotel Maman when John Belushi died, you know, s- stuff 
that, you know, you just, you never really think about, you know, great shots in here. Um, it was a weird, uh, oh, look at this shot of Polanski. Oh, at the house, at the house where Sharon Tate was killed. Ooh. Yeah. I wonder how long after it was. Yikes. Cause was that in 1969 that that happened? I think it was. Eesh. Yeah. Imagine. No, no, I can't. And there's like, there's like blood on the stoop and ugh. yeah. Yeah. That's no, no good. No, that's that right that's, there is definitely no bueno. No, no, no. Yeesh. Um, Hey, is tale of the pup an actual thing? Did you ever hear that? Yeah. Is that a real, is it still there? It was, I don't, I don't think it still is. Might still be. I'm not sure. Man, now I could go for a hot dog for lunch. Pink's is the place to go. Pink's hot dogs, really? Pink's, yeah. Okay. On uh, La Brea. Uh, anyway, I think you should you should write these people. See if they can send you a copy of this book so you can review it. It looks pretty good. All right. Um, but I'll put a link in the show notes. It's from the Time Magazine, the tmagazine.blogs.nyc.com. Uh, Julian Washerman's photographs of the California dream in its underbelly, it's called. Uh, hey, so- uh, I love that th- word, underbelly. Uh, it really makes me uncomfortable. feels like something's going to tickle me. It's like seedy. Seedy underbelly. <laughs> what uh, would you think about people's uh, work this week? Oh, for summertime. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, it really, I know I say that every week. You're getting all getting tired of hearing. No, but don't like get the, tired I of like hearing I like the it. crawfish. Uh, in, in the, the pot. pot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you feel bad for lobsters when they boil them alive? Not at all. Okay. All right. Should I? I don't know. I we I was eating lobster this weekend and, and I don't know. I'm not a big lobster. I'm not sure how it makes big, me feel. I'm not a big seafood fan. Yeah, either am I. Not a big not a big lobster guy. I like uh Simon Wallstead's picture Wallerstead. Which one? Uh which is of like mountains in Norway with 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 snow all over them. <laughs> he yeah. says it's almost summertime in the Norwegian mountains, he says. <laughs> uh some really good stuff. Jason Fusera, good stuff. Uh uh Neil oh, is it Waybright? Is that Neil Waybright? Yeah, his stuff. Yeah. Um uh there was one who did this one of the kid in the water. Hold on, bear with me. Uh Alan Bailward in uh in where was he? In Glasgow? In meeting Scotland up with camps. With camps yeah. yeah. Look at him. Oh, you mean the Cody Downs one? The guy, one where his kid's splashing water on his face? Yes. Okay. You Love know, what's interesting that. about that one is that one in some ways is going to be the, 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 the prototype for next week's. Yes. Yes. So it's so a really good stuff. Uh, yeah. You, you came up with this. I like this splash. Yeah. Splash. You know, and that, I mean, it's, you know, there's water, there's bathtubs, there's pools, there's, you know. Uh, there's making a big thing on the market splash yeah this is a good one i like this yeah um so yeah really good stuff Uh, it's there's a lot of talented folks you guys you guys are are a talented group of people yeah and i love that there are these physical meetups going on yeah Yeah. this is this is great Um, people making friends because of the show yeah yeah uh i'll be in portland this weekend uh, I think I'm meeting up with, with Jason Fusera again and maybe April Rainey. Okay. Uh, Preston is, is, Preston is away on assignment. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so he can't join it. Uh, yeah. Cody Downs, man, that's a good shot. Um, let's see the print, the prints are going around, right? The print book yep. that's going around. 
And uh, what about these T-shirts? T-shirts. People yeah, have people, T-shirts. I like people that. People have T-shirts. And, and I love that you're posting photos of you in the T-shirts. So keep them coming. If yeah. you haven't seen them, they're fadeandblurred.com slash merch. And uh, uh, some new ones might be in the works. Ah. Maybe. They are. They are. I'll just, you know. So wait, are things. you telling me that people should should not go buy one right now? No, these are di- these are different. There's okay. there's only going to be the one OTP one. These are just going to be some different cameras that I have either used or or aspired to use, which I have asked people to help me with. Uh, I've got two of the four. I, I'm asking for a, a, a K1000, which I've got. Uh, uh, a, a Polaroid SX70, which I've got. So missing a, a Hasselblad 500CM and that. a Leica M6 or M7. I can do that. Uh, and I've, I've put a, a, a post on the group so you can see kind of what angle and what perspective the composite, because I, I want them to be similar, all on similar angles. So they look kind of the same on the shirts. Sure, we can do that. All right. And then round two, uh, I'm just, now that I've, uh, this is really pathetic. Now that I've done the one, I kind of just want to keep doing and see what I can come up with. So I want to do an AE one and a Roly, and, you know, we're just going to keep going and see, maybe get, you know, half a dozen of these up. I don't know. We'll see how it, how it turns out, but I'm having fun with it. And, uh, and so if you guys can help, you can, you can help me, Bill, you, you've got those, so you can help me with that. Yeah, I can do those. Um, yeah. So splash. Wow. Good one. Good one. Yeah, we get uh, splash. We'll see what it, we'll see what they come up in next week. Yeah. Uh, so, photographer of the week. Somebody brought this up the other day. Who wrote about this? Somebody in the group or somebody emailed us about Gersky. I think it was an ah, uh, it was Martin Dorsch. Yeah. These um, are. I don't. I I I love these, but I don't understand some of. All them. right. Well, let's back out a little bit. Okay. So, photographer of the week is Andreas Gersky. A uh, German photographer born in 55, so he's, what, 60 years old now, uh, 59, uh, g- generally does these large large format images, and he prints them big, you know, yeah. uh, 73 big. by 95 inches or, you know, that kind of thing, 81 by 140 inches. Uh, and uh, he is the current holder of the most expensive photograph all, of all time. Um this is that river one, right? The, yeah, the, Rhine, the Rhine number yeah. two. Yeah, from 1999, which is a C, uh, 81 by 140 inch C print of the River Rhine with uh, uh, grass on the bottom, sort of grass in the middle. It ends up becoming very sort of just horizontal line graphic. Right. Um, what did that sell for? Uh, I, I I would say that it sold for 1.7 million pounds, which is probably like four and a half million, four point three million dollars, wow. something like that. And he, he did the, 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 uh, that big 99 cent store print where it's like, yeah, all the, I really the, like that one. Actually. I actually like that a lot. Yeah, I really do. Um, the, and and also bet- the, the Chicago trading floor one, I oh, think a lot of these images it's a, there's a link to it on the, um, uh, the, uh, Wikipedia page. Oh yeah, um, here it is. Okay. I, I think oh, wow. that part that. of the problem with, with his images and looking at them online is that they scale does matter in this kind of stuff. Sure. You know, detail matters. Sure. Um, and I Much think like the Bertinsky stuff, you, it's, you, yes. you get a different feeling seeing it in person. Right. Gigantic than when it's three by four feet versus yeah, you know, 300 pixels, 600 pixels. Yeah. 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 Um, now why are these things worth X amount of dollars? I, I, you know, that's, that's a difficult question to answer. 
Um, mm. I, there was an interesting article that I put in here from the Telegraph in the UK, which is why is Andreas Gursky's Rhine II the most expensive photograph? And this woman says, uh, that said, it could be a long time. Let's see. Here we go. But it's more than that. For all its apparent simplicity, the photograph is a statement of dedication to its craft. The late 18, uh, 1980s, when Gursky shot to attention, was a time when photography was first entering gallery spaces and photographs were taking their places along paintings. What? Photography as art at the time was still brave and new, and the simplicity of, his, of this image shows a great deal of confidence in its effectiveness and potential for creating atmospheric, hyper-real scenarios that in turn teach us to see and read the world around us anew. <laughs> the scale attention to color form of his photography can be read as a deliberate challenge to painting status as a higher form. On top of that, his images are extraordinary technical accomplishments, which take months to set up in advance and require a lot of digital doctoring to get right. Now, I don't know that this woman knows Florence waters. I don't know who she is or, or, you know. so, okay. So just, just to, just to recap. Yep. Yep. Uh, late 80s, late 1980s is when photography first started entering galleries. Uh, well, I think when, when I think we, she's saying when, when color photography actually really started getting, it was actually not until the 80s that like photography was seriously collected by people. You know, I mean, in the 70s and 60s, yeah, these people started having photographs in shows, but I don't think for, I don't think the, art world of sales really saw photography until the eighties, like in a way that it is now, you know, in a serious way. Now, why this is worth that amount of money, you know, who knows market this, that, and the other thing I look, I think his stuff is beautiful. I wonder if I saw these pictures and didn't know what they were, how big they were, who made them and how much they sold for, whether I'd flip by them. You know what I mean? Right. Like if somebody fit his pictures into a thousand pictures by other people, if I would choose these out to say that these are the winners, I don't know that I'd do that. You know? Right. But at the same time, I do like a number of his images. They showed I one do. of his pictures. This, this in Ryan that. picture is not one of them though. Okay. See, I kind of like that one. Um, what do you think about, you know, that one of the the racetracks from midair that he, they talked about on genius of photography, they interview him, and it's sort of like this, uh, Gursky racetrack. Is that the, it's, it's, uh, like where you can see the grass patterns. Yeah. No, it's here. here. View image. Here you go. It is this one, <clears throat> which, Oh, okay. Um, I like, think does that do anything for you? It's interesting. Okay. There's something about, I mean, I like a few of his pieces, but as, as a body of work, I am more drawn to the work of Bertinsky. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 he, he is creating Bertinsky's much more, not just natural spaces, but I know, I guess you're right. There's same thing. I don't know. There's just something about, I like some of his images. Like if I could have a print of that one, I'd take it, you know, <laughs> like I wouldn't say no. Um, I would, I would trade somebody for a Crudson. I also, I like the, um, I also like the, what, some of those 99 cent ones are actually pretty cool to me. I like those. Um, if it, like a giant one of those 99 cent things would be pretty cool looking. I don't know that I'd spend millions of dollars on it. If I had millions of dollars to spend on photography, I don't know that it would be for this guy. 
I wouldn't spend millions. I would, if I had millions of dollars, somebody said, you got to go spend this on photography. I would buy a ton of lower priced work and surround myself with great work. I think not part, just, not just one or two big pieces. I think part of what it is with this guy is almost like, I, I know I was just saying that they look good big, but if you, if you shrink them small and just look at thumbnails of them, they do become very graphic, you know, and sort of, uh, almost, uh, just in, in an abstract sense, Sure, you know, like the, those, those, the racetrack one. Like if you back up, you're like, what the heck is that? Like it, it could have been painted, you know? Um, and I think that's part of what people really like about it. Um, and the guy does have serious skill as far as technicals concerned. No, 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 no argument there. No argument there. I I just, from a, from a content standpoint, just doesn't do anything for it. Doesn't, doesn't do much. I mean, I I like some of it, but it's a passing like or a passive like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll put a bunch of, bunch of links in the show notes and you know, you guys let us know what you think. Actually send us an email and let us know what you think of Gursky and what we're missing. If you like him or, you know, oddly enough, maybe not oddly, but somebody posted, who was it that posted this, uh, this empty, was it Mitch? That empty warehouse. Uh, I don't know that I saw it. Uh, Mitch. Yeah. Mitch Sevier. This, uh, his caption reads, this is what corporate greed looks like. This is what happens when someone can make a bonus by sending the factory work to China. The space used to be running three shifts, 24 hours a day. And it's just, it's the interior of this just enormous building, uh, here. Oh yeah. I see it. Got it. You got it. Okay. And I thought, what a, what an interesting idea for a photo essay. And maybe, maybe we can do a group photo project uh, call it outsourced. And, and, and if one of these, you know, f- abandoned factories, abandoned warehouses, abandoned yep. gigantic buildings like this are, are in your town, let, let's, let's, let's see if we can maybe do something with that. What if, what if we can do a project about that? Yeah. You know, like this, this, that location with slightly different framing. And I don't know what his original file looks like. This one gets a little crunchy. So maybe you just put up a low res one. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be really amazing if you did it right. I think this is a really a nice photograph. I, I would like to see him standing away from this right wall a little bit because yeah. that, that right wall is a little distracting to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe like either a little lower, a little high, a little lower tilted up so that you get sort of more of the diagonals of the, of mm-hmm, the lights mm-hmm. or also up. becomes a little more ominous from a, from a perspective view. Yeah. Anyway, but, but that location is the kind of thing that you could see somebody like Gursky going to town with, you know? Yeah. Um, wait, is it Gursky? Who, who made that weird, wait, who did that movie? Not Gursky. Wait, it was, what's his name? Who did the weird one where it was just like, where it was panning across that factory for an hour and a half? Oh, uh, 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 you know gosh. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, man, objectify. Was it, is that what it no, was? No, no, no. It wasn't him. It was manufactured um, landscapes. Manufactured landscapes. Sure. Landscapes film. Um, yeah. Bertinsky. Oh, it was Bertinsky. Okay. Like in some ways it was, it's similar to that. Yeah. I think this would be a fun project if, if you guys wanted to do a, a group, a group project. Yeah. Um, you know, abandoned places or outsourced, or I think it could be interesting. Uh, you should, yeah, you should totally do that. There are not a whole lot of abandoned places in my neighborhood anymore. They all cost yeah. millions and millions of dollars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But you know, you go up to Waterbury or you go up to, you know, like some places in Connecticut, Bridgeport, Ooh, lots of abandoned stuff. Right. 
in in amazing ways, you know. Or what, uh, what's the place where uh, up near Pittsfield, where where Greg Crudson shoots uh, uh, yeah, at well, Western uh, Mass up there? Yeah, um, what the heck is it called? Well, there is Pittsfield, but uh, there's also uh, what, what's. I know you know what I'm talking about. I do. I'll find it. Go ahead. Uh, anything else you want to say while I look this up? Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, podcast at ontakingpictures.com. Yep. Uh, you can find the show notes, 5by5.tv slash OTP. That gets you to the, the main show page. Uh, slash 110 will get you to the show notes here. Uh, we'll also put them up on Fade and Blurred. Uh, Bill tweets at Bill Wadman. I, I tweet at Jeffrey Sidoris. Yep. And if you've, you've got some ideas, uh, questions, comments, you, we, we should do uh, in the next couple of shows, we should do another Q&A show. Those are fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll do one next week. Yeah, we haven't done those in a while. Um, yeah, it sounds about good. I think Pittsfield is where you're looking for because that's like the big town around there. Right, right. Um, a lot of these sort of New England factory towns – uh, Torrington and Waterbury and, and Connecticut and, and, and Bridgeport, these places. Or there's gotta be to, like Tennessee, Kentucky, like oh, I'm sure down there. I just, be. I just know the Northeast cause that's where I've grown up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, could be an interesting thing. Let's, let's see if we can, we can put together a group of photos about that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would offer to help, but you know, California, they tear everything down too quickly. Yeah. Land is cheap in the yeah. desert. What's, what's the, uh, the line from, from L.A. Story, you know, some of these houses are over 25 years old. <laughs> the building I'm in right now is from 1880, 1891, which is probably older than pretty much anything else anywhere near you, within 60 miles of you. Yeah. I think this complex that I live in was built in, like, I don't know, 1982 or something. Yeah. And that's old. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that was a fun one. Uh, let us know uh, what you think, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yep. See you next week. Thank you for listening, uh, and, and have a good week. Going on and on the way we are for so long. To any fool, it's plain to see something. This way, say what you want to say, though I know your words will lay me out, so I can hear you think out loud, going through your thoughts the way. Say what you want to say I know what you will say Will